food supply system is responsible for a tremendous amount of impact from greenhouse gas emissions and water usage to labor risk, biodiversity loss, animal welfare, and so much more. The Carbon Ant podcast features conversations with leaders in the food industry and aims to shed light on comprehensive sustainability strategies that move beyond just carbon footprint to more holistic measures of social and environmental impact. Today, we delve into the topic of transparency and how companies are building consumer loyalty by avoiding greenwashing. We'll be speaking with Darcy Scheiber-Knowles, Director of Operational Sustainability and Innovation at Dr. Bronner's, and Heather Terry, founder of GoodSam, who will help us answer important questions like, why is it crucial to broaden the scope of sustainability reporting to include more comprehensive measures of environmental and social impact? And how can the private sector, nonprofits, and regulatory bodies work together to accelerate transparent supply chains in the food supply system? If you just want to quickly introduce yourself, um, who you are, what your role is, and maybe um, you know how you got into sustainability in the first place and kind of ended up in these sustainability-focused roles, uh, that would be wonderful. Um, Heather, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, Leah and how good. Thank you so much for having me here. And Darcy, thanks for coming uh, coming out with me to talk about this really important topic. Uh, I'm Heather Terry. I'm the founder and CEO of Good Sam Foods. Uh, we're a relatively young company. Um, I've been in CPG though for almost 15 years. I'm actually one of the original founders of Nipmore Chocolate as well. So I've been in the CPG landscape for over a decade. And the reason that Good Sam came to be was uh, a lot of things just didn't sit very well with me um, throughout the course of my career in developing companies, helping to grow them, exit them. Uh, I realized that there was sort of a, a place to put a trifecta in that was really about not only just the consumer, right? Because we always have to be concerned about the consumer as CPG brands, but a brand that could be uh, very focused on the people that serve our consumers, primarily the farmers and the planet, which is really important if we want to keep feeding people. Um, so it was really about bringing all of those sort of pain points for me as an entrepreneur and somebody who had been in the space for a long time to one company uh, in order to create CPG products that could service a wide range of uh, topics and uh, concerns in the world. Um, so that's how I ended up here. Thanks so much. Um, Darcy, would you like to take the, take the next slot? Thank you. It's great to be with you, Heather and Leah. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks all of you for coming to join this conversation this morning. Darcy Scheiber-Knowles with Dr. Bronner's. I've been with Dr. Bronner's uh, just about nine and a half years. And I think of my sustainability journey as really starting um, as a, as a little kid, uh, my interest in environmental work, I think stems from my interest in connection, connectivity between people and each other, between um, people and other species and uh, natural resources, how we live on this planet. In undergrad, I studied environmental science with a focus on environmental justice and worked for a traditional conservation nonprofit uh, early on in my career. And I, I think conservation is really important. I'm grateful for those who are on the front lines of that work, protecting places and species. And I realized early in my 20s that I was more excited by questions of the future of our species, the future of our interdependence. 
And I was living in New York at the time, shopping at the green markets. And I uh, had this kind of awakening to our food systems brokenness and food and agriculture as what I thought of at the time as the vanguard of uh, an environmental movement that looked at people and place and our bodies and our connection to each other globally. So I transitioned to um, to the for-profit space, looking at organizations with sustainable agricultural supply chains. And that brought me to Dr. Bronner's. And I, I've, I've been at Dr. Bronner's, as I mentioned, almost, to, I'm going on 10 years. And my, for those of you unfamiliar, Dr. Bronner's is a family-owned, family-run California benefit corporation, uh, fifth-generation family-run. And we make soaps and other personal care and cleaning products. And now most recently chocolate, which is really exciting. And I can share more about that journey. At Dr. Bronner's, I lead sustainability uh, as well as research and development, product development, quality and compliance with all of our many certifications, including organic, fair trade, non-GMO, vegan, and most recently regenerative organic certified. And I can share a little bit more about that. So we, we love third-party certifications. So a conversation about greenwashing and transparency uh, is, is a fun one for me uh, because I, it, it resonates with a lot of the work that we do at Dr. Bronner's, figuring out how to communicate about products with consumers and how to bring consumers along with us in this journey of how do we live with more love for each other and for uh, the, uh, the others on this planet that we share. Thank you so much. Um, so I'd like to dig a little bit more into what both of you are touching on uh, in your intros, which is just broadly, how is your organization thinking about the coming decade in terms of environmental impact and the regulations that are likely to come? Um, and then also, you know, investor pressures and consumer pressures around sustainability work and how that's kind of shaping the sustainability work that you're planning to do going forward. And maybe also look, you know, look back at some of the work that you've already done. Um, Heather, I would love to hear from you first. If yeah. So it's interesting, you know, because obviously Bronner's is a fifth generation uh, company. We're a very first generation company. We're only three years old. Um, and companies like Bronner's and Patagonia, um, you know, a lot of either sustainability uh, focused companies have really paved the way for us at Good Sam, right? We, we couldn't do what we do without these other leaders who have been ahead of us. Um, I think right now, what's interesting about being in this space as in a startup situation or an earlier stage company is the amount of planning that we are doing for the future in a way uh, on the ground, right? So Good Sam is a bottom-up approach. We are not a top-down approach. We are actually on the ground with the farmers. We know our associations, our cooperatives, our individual farmers. We uh, do not engage with any brokers or middlemen in our entire supply chain. Um, and we do everything from chocolate, coffee, nuts, fruits, seeds, oils. We have a massive supply chain that we service within various countries. So when we're looking at um, sustainability, 
sustainability and we're looking at long-term goals. And I'm sure Darcy, you can uh, totally empathize with this. I mean, we're looking at really big real world problems that are on the forefront and how we prepare for those. So it's not just about business as usual. For us, it's not just about the top line. For us, it's just not about how many chocolate bars we sold or how many bags of coffee or you know how many um, macadamia nuts. It's about, okay, if climate does X, Y, and Z, what's going to happen to our farmers in Kenya who farm macadamia nuts? If climate does A, B, and C, what's going to happen to the farmers in La Sierra in Colombia who farm coffee? Coffee that is being eliminated is, is, is creeping up the side of the mountain at an alarming rate. If you, if you are all feeling the pain of, uh, of buying coffee at a very, very high rate right now, it's because of climate. Um, it's because the crop has been really, really bad the last couple of years, and it is trickling through the supply chain. That's not just about supply chain issues. That's about climate, right? So for organizations like us, I'm sure, Darcy, you can, you can again, totally empathize and agree with. It's about looking at these longer-term forecasts from climate um, scientists, um, what is happening in the supply chain, what's actually happening on the ground, because of course we can read a lot of things in the news. And if we're just CEOs who are sitting in an office somewhere in North America, we could be like, okay, we'll do this, this, and this, we'll go to this source, we'll go to that source. But when you're on the ground and you actually see how that impacts not only the planet, but the people who serve us again, farmers, um, and you know, I'm, I'm well known in the industry for saying this, you know, in the Western world, we think of farmers as if they're in servitude to us but they're actually business owners. And we have a responsibility as CPG companies putting product on the shelf to serve those farmers in their businesses and to say, my business is only as good as your business. If I'm not helping you grow your business, I can't grow my business, which is why we hear such an explosion about, you know, supply chains, protecting supply chains, but nobody really knows what that means. You've got to get to the root of it, right? So um, for us, it's about a lot of long-term planning. It's about um, our short-term projects, our long-term projects, and the long-term implications of climate on our business. That's something that we're actively looking at all the time. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, and uh, Darcy, I'd love to hear from the Dr. Bronner's perspective, how you guys are looking toward the future, but also maybe reflecting on the work that you've already done. For folks who don't know, Dr. Bronner's in the U.S. was founded by an actual person. He was not an actual doctor. He gave himself that title as an honorific. Um, <clears throat> but Emmanuel Bronner came to the U.S. escaping Nazi Germany as a German Jewish soap maker in the 1930s. And when his parents were tragically killed, uh, by the Nazis and in concentration camps and the family business was stolen by the Nazis, Emmanuel had this moral reawakening that if we do not realize our transcendent unity across everything that divides us, we will destroy each other and the planet. And he set about to uh, express this message of all one love and unity as his primary mission and used this, the family soap recipe uh, as a way to get people to come to his talks. He said he, he would give away soap um, so that people would listen to what he had to say. And when he realized they were coming for the soap and not staying for the talk, he put the message of love and unity on the label as a way of getting this message into uh, people's homes and hearts. 
And that message of unity and love guides us today in everything that we do. And I, I think his grandsons who run the company today have done an even better job of um, actualizing this vision. What does it look like to run a business with love at the center? Uh, and their commitment to pursuing organic to pursuing fair trade, to exploring what the next thing is to meet the moment. How can we truly do business with love at the center? So we're, you know, I, I resonate with a lot of what you said, Heather, um, thinking about the people throughout our supply chains, farmers, farm workers, um, our manufacturing floor colleagues. How do we, how do we do business in a way that honors them? And so in terms of the climate crisis and the plastic pollution crisis, uh, racial, justi racial injustices and the economic pressures that we're facing, as a business at Dr. Bronner's, we have tried in all of our spheres of influence to look how can we continue to lead with love. So some of, some of the projects that um, I'm really excited about, one is the regenerative organic certification that we pioneered working in partnership with Patagonia and the Rodale Institute. This is a third-party certification that, will, that can go on package to communicate to consumers that this product helps restore soil health, lift farming communities in the global south out of poverty, advance animal welfare, um, and it, it's, it's beyond organic. Organic is the baseline, it's important, but that's not enough to meet the moment. And um, this is a, it's still a new certification and there's a lot, regenerative is a buzzword now. Um, this is a high bar for products and something that uh, the only Dr. Bronner's product right now that has the regenerative organic certification logo is our coconut oil, uh, single ingredient, but we're working towards our chocolate, our liquid soap and our bar soap, um, possibly even by the end of next year, depending on how our different supply chain partners um, do in their in their journeys towards uh, rockifying or becoming rock stars. <laughs> so that's one project I'm really excited about, and that's you know regenerative organic ag is a it's a climate justice solution, and it. Um, it serves farmers and it serves the planet. Uh, and, and hopefully we can help communicate with consumers using that certification. You can vote with your dollar. Another project that I, I'm really excited and proud that we're working on is, okay, we've, it, how, do we, how do we address and reduce our single use plastic use? Uh, we are really proud of the products that go inside the bottle. Uh, and also we need to now turn to the impacts of using bottles as a whole. And we're really proud that we use 100% post-consumer recycled plastic, but it's still a plastic container and we're still a part of a linear consumption economy. And we know where the plastic is ending up, even though our bottles are technically recyclable. So we're exploring a number of strategies right now and programs that we're piloting for um, circular bulk refill um, for non-plastic or lower plastic, less plastic containers. And uh, hopefully we'll have some lessons from our pilots mid next year that can help guide the company decision-making for what does the future look like when, when this is what your product comes in? You know, How do we make sure that 
we can still get an amazing product to consumers without mm-hmm. having that environmental impact. So we're looking at yeah. that. It's really about continuous improvement. There's always more we can do. There's always more learning. Mm, absolutely. Well said. Um, and I think like, I, I think that you've done a really good job of, at touching on sort of the scope and breadth of some of these sustainability initiatives that are outside of what can sometimes be, I think, a bit of a myopic focus on greenhouse gas emissions or carbon, which are, of course, very important and are what is driving climate change at large. Um, but I want to give Heather the opportunity as well to talk a little bit. I know that GoodSam has um, as well a sort of a broader scope of sustainability reporting and and including those holistic measures of not just environmental impact, but also social impact. Um, can you talk a little bit about why that's important, specifically when you're aiming to mitigate climate change? And I think particularly of importance because both of you, both uh, Dr. Bronner's and Good Sam, are involved in the cacao supply system, um, which is associated, you know, historically not only with high GHG emissions, but also with a lot of risky labor practices. Um, and so I'd love to hear hear from you some of the the broader uh, initiatives that you take at Good Sam. You say it so nicely, uh, like these risky, these risky, um, <laughs> these risky things within the supply chain. Um, yeah, look, cocoa, look, I've been in the cocoa supply chain, um, again, for over a decade. And uh, it's a really, really tough supply chain. There's a lot of human trafficking, a lot of forced labor, a lot of slave labor, a lot of child trafficking um, in that supply chain, particularly in Africa. That's where we have the most infringements. Um, this is something that that U.S. consumers do not talk about. It's because there's a lobby that's protecting it uh, at a at, at, with so much money and so much power that it's just very difficult to cut through that noise. Um, oftentimes when I talk about those infringements and what's really happening in the supply chain, people get very upset. Um, in fact, I'll tell a quick story about a podcast I was on and the woman who was interviewing me, I start, I said, well, what would happen if, if you told your eight-year-old when they dumped out the, the Halloween candy that like other kids were forced to work for you to have that? And she went ballistic and she stopped the podcast and she was like, I don't believe this. This can't be true. And I think Susan Fecko, our PR person is on the call somewhere, but she got a call like two weeks later from them saying they wanted to re-record it because she went and she went down the rabbit hole and found all that information and was like, oh my God, this is real. And oh my God, I need to talk about this. I'm a parent. I believe in clean supply chains. Like how can U.S. consumers not know about this, right? So I think for me in, in cocoa in particular, I've, I've focused more on Latin America and um, Central America because we have better supply chains that are not exploiting labor to the levels that we see in Africa in the cocoa supply chain. Not to say that they're all corrupt. There's definitely some good things going on there too. And certainly I think now, there's a lot of ways that brands are getting around some of those um, restrictions because primarily the reason that those um, those practices exist in Africa is because of government and government not intervening. Um, so it's some of that's loosening up a little bit, and I, I think there are companies that are doing some really really good work there um, to change that. 
Um, as far as it it relates to climate, look, again, I think everything's circular. And I and I, I love the way you say that, Darcy. I think everything can be related back to circularity on so many levels, right? So when we think about regenerative or we think about direct supply chains or we think about, you know, and so at Good Sam, we, we, we differ a little bit from Bronner's in this. We run a direct supply chain. We don't participate in fair trade labeling, um, primarily because we put we take the 1% that we would have paid the fair trade organizations, and we put it back directly into the communities we work with. We have such a, a big control over that, that we're able to be super, super transparent and know exactly where that money is going to. Sometimes when it gets tied up in third party, and again, not always, I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here, but sometimes in third party, it can get muddled, right? Where you don't know where the money's going, you don't know how it was used, you don't know what project got funded or didn't, or if it was useful or not useful. Early in my career, I saw a lot of that in the supply chain where farmers were saying to us, yeah, we're not really getting what we need. They're just like building something they want to build and they come and take a lot of photos and they leave. And that happens, right? It's not every, it's not everything. I'm not saying everyone does that. I'm saying it exists. And so at Good Sam, for me, the direct nature of our supply chain was very, very important to me. And to take that money we would have otherwise spent on a licensing fee and to put it back into the communities where the communities then had a voice at the table. So at Good Sam, we don't dictate what the farmers do with that 1%. We listen and we collaborate. We come to an agreement about how those funds are going to be used for the community and the development of the community. Right. But it's all circular. Right. Because oftentimes we're getting, uh, hey, we want to strengthen the biodiversity. We want to strengthen the agroforestry system. We want to grow more. We want technical support. We want, you know, a, it's always the unsexy stuff, Darcy. That's what we end up funding um, because it's not the stuff that you can take a picture of. Right. It's a there's a cadmium testing lab. But that ca that cadmium testing lab for some of our cocoa farmers it gives them the information to know which market they can go into and which markets they cannot go into, right? So this is really, really important to their businesses. So the circularity uh, around that, and, and as far as ROC is concerned, we differ a little bit in opinion there, Darcy, just because for us, it's more about standards, not certification at this point. We feel like regenerative certifications are a little bit too early for us, and we're defining standards by region, right? So it's just really about, I think, a different lens that we're looking through um, with our farmers and their circumstances, right? There are different circumstances in different geographies. And so, Leah, to answer your question, right, we're looking at each of those geographies and saying, okay, where is measurement? Where's government on this? Where is the private sector? Where are our individual groups? And how can we insert ourselves in order to be helpful or to move something along. So in the case of Columbia, for instance, uh, right now we're starting our carbon measurement program. We're doing that in conjunction with the university. Um, there's a lot of players, Bank Columbia is also involved, right? So we're taking people from the private and the public sector and bringing them together in order to strengthen it. Because carbon capture is great and we love carbon capture and that carbon capture, methane, all, you know, methane arguably is a much bigger, um, more impactful topic, but let's keep it to carbon as, as it relates to agriculture. Carbon capture is really important. However, circularity, how does that uh, improve the life of our farmers? Is there then an organization that can give them carbon credits? Can they make money from doing the right thing, right? Many of them are already doing the right thing and they should be incentivized to continue doing the right thing, growing the right thing, 
you know, getting their communities to buy into the right thing, right? This is really, really important. That circularity around involving the community, dealing with the planet, and then in turn getting our consumers in the United States on board, right, to Darcy's point about how do we educate the consumer about this? How do we get them to care about why we're doing this and how we're doing this is so, so vitally important. So it's not just one thing. It's many things working together in order to get the result that we want ultimately. Absolutely. Um Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And then, you know, in terms of transparency, which is really what this this whole session is about, right? I really appreciate you cutting through like the corporate speak that even as someone who is engaged with the supply system pretty meaningfully and on a daily basis, I myself, it's so easy to fall into um what is ultimately sort of like neutered language and takes away from the true harshness of these situations um, by saying, you know, oh, risky labor conditions. You're sort of, it's like this euphemism when in reality we should be saying what it is, which is forced labor and forced child labor and trafficking. Um, and so I appreciate your candor on that. Um, I want to, I want to ask Darcy as well. Um, in terms of the way that Dr. Bronner's interacts directly with its farmers, because Dr. Bronner's um, chocolate was the first brand that I interacted with where Dr. Bronner's was asking the farmer what they needed in order to grow more regeneratively rather than you know, creating a market first and creating demand and making a big marketing campaign around trendy ingredients. It's like, okay, what does the farmer need? And so Darcy, I wonder if you would speak a little bit to that. And then of course, add anything else that you'd like to. Absolutely. Uh, the first question I get when people find out we're making chocolate is what is a soap company doing making chocolate? What, what, what? <laughs> and you're right, Leah, that it's it's really it's really about farmers and it's about soil and it's about our supply partners. So we have a unfortunately unique business model. I say unfortunately because I wish more businesses um, took the this approach. And we actually there's a book that one of our one of my colleagues published last year that um, I can put a link in the chat uh, if you'd like to get your hands on a copy. Anyone here? But um, we, we, we want to share the message of how we've done this, created our own vertically integrated supply partnerships for all of our core raw materials. So our palm oil for our bar soap uh, is grown in Ghana in an agroforestry system. And this is a, a sister company that we helped found. Uh, it's called Serena Palm. And it's certified organic, certified fair trade by Fair for Life. Um, to Heather's point, not all fair trade certifications are created equal. Not all fair trade certifications have uh, what's called a premium to pay for sustainable development in the communities where the raw materials come from. And uh, at the discretion of the community members, Fair for Life is one of them and uh, Fair Trade International as well. So those are two kind of high bar fair trade certifications if you're looking for that and interested. Anyway, our, uh, our palm project is um, they, the farmers are growing palm 
as I mentioned in an agroforestry system, and that means intercropped with six or seven different crops, cassava, turmeric, banana, and cacao. And this is a method of farming that works especially well in the tropics, but it improves soil health, water retention, as well as providing farmers additional economic avenues, whether that's in the local market or internationally. And uh, what grows well in an agroforestry system varies by region. But in Ghana, we, we see our farmers growing cacao right alongside palm. And that improves their yield. And then they're selling the, the cacao to other buyers. And we found out that they were selling the cacao to European chocolatiers. And we thought, well, this this is a story that we could help tell. We don't know how to make chocolate. We're a soap company, but we can find someone to partner with who knows how to make chocolate. And we can talk about some of the issues that Heather mentioned in terms of human trafficking and forced labor and heavy pesticide use, particularly in Ghana for most of the cacao that's produced um, because the government subsidizes pesticides or provides them for free to farmers. And there are health impacts and soil impacts so we thought, well, this is, okay, what's our mission? We're in business to, for, for love and unity. And these farmers are our partners. And we think that we can provide uh, even more income with this value-added product that is our direct supply production. So that's why we launched Chocolate. And, um, <clears throat> you know, thinking about the role of government and the role of policy in righting wrongs and holding companies accountable. I have to say that um, I was really, really disappointed and, and angered by the Supreme Court decision recently, I think this was last year or the year prior, um, when Nestle, there was a case against Nestle with documented uh, child labor, forced labor, human trafficking, it was well-documented and went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, essentially, yes, we acknowledge that these inhumane practices are happening, but not our, not our jurisdiction. So what that says to me is if the highest court, at least in the United States, can't hold companies accountable for these supply chain uh, atrocities, it, it, Unfortunately, it's on companies to make choices themselves. How do we, right now, and that's where voluntary certifications and transparently talking about the issues and why we're making the products we are in the ways that we are is so, so much more important um, until there are policies that, uh, or law, you know, laws that can hold corporations accountable. So, <clears throat> you know, we, we set up our supply chain for Palm uh, because when we committed to becoming fair trade as a manufacturer, there was not an organic fair trade palm supplier in the world. And so rather than saying, well, fair trade, it's okay, it's, we don't need to do that, we helped set it up. And we've done that um, for all of our core raw material, all of our core raw materials. And we're working slowly to get all of the materials that we use to make all of our products certified fair trade. We believe in that third party verification that has on the ground auditing, um, that has uh, 
price floors, ensuring safe working conditions and fair pay and a, and a fair trade premium to help communities determine what they need to continue to invest in their well-being. So we're really proud to be certified fair trade by Fair for Life. And um, I wanted to speak, I don't know, Leah, I noticed in the chat, someone asked a question about the difference between Benefit Corporation and B Corp. I can speak a little bit to that now if you'd like, or we can hold it to later. If Sure. Yeah, feel free. Great. It's connected to this uh, question of fair trade, I, I believe. So um, B Corp is a third party certification. It's voluntary that for-profit enterprises can choose to pursue um, that purports to measure a company's uh, ability to meet a social and or environmental benefit in addition to the pursuit of profit. So independent third-party certification. Benefit Corporation is a legal status that in the US is available to companies in I wanna say 48-ish of the 50 states. And you actually write into your articles of incorporation, your commitments to non-shareholder stakeholders. What are the benefits that you are in business to provide to society, not just pursuit of profit to shareholders. So Dr. Bronner's legally reincorporated as a benefit corporation in the state of California in 2015. And in 2015, and, and at, in California, there's a requirement to have a third party verify your ability to make good on these commitments to non shareholder stakeholders. And we chose the B Corp certification at that time as our third party measurement of our ability to, um, to, to do right by the planet and people. And fair trade and organic are actually written into our articles of incorporation, as well as other commitments that we have to, who, to, the, to the world in terms of who we are as a business. And Lee, if I can just piggyback on what yeah, you're please. saying here. So yeah, um, P so Good Sam is a public benefit corporation in the state of Delaware. We have been since day one. Um, and that's something that I think anyone here who has a business should look into. Um, it is, you know, B Corp is B Corp and that's great. And we're a B Corp. We just, just actually got our B Corp in October. It took us one year and we actually score the highest in community. That's something that was really important to us. I know somebody said, how does Good Sam get credit for what it does um, without third party? We do engage in some third party certifications, just not all. Um, so we are organic certified, uh, non-GMO project verified. We use the vegan symbol, um, things like that, right? So, uh, but public benefit corporation, if you are a, a especially if you're a, a young business owner out there, that is something that you can do right now. And what's really great about that, though, I sometimes think investors forget about it, right? <laughs> you get to family offices and VCs and they're like, wait, what do you mean that we have to put people in planet before our pro And I'm like, it's, it's in the articles of incorporation that you looked at in due diligence. Like, remember that, right? Because sometimes um, you have to like bring people back to that, right? In, in our very capitalistic society. And so um, yes, B Corp is awesome, but you don't have to be a B Corp. You can write it into your articles of incorporation. You can be that from day one um, in no matter what company you're running or dreaming up in your head. Um, you can make those commitments uh, without B Corp uh, saying anything to you. And then that only helps you in your B Corp filing, right? Like it's just another thing that you've already committed to. Um, now with that B Corp filing to Darcy's point, 
you have to prove all of that out. It can be a very, very cumbersome process. And certainly for an organization as young as ours, it was very, very cumbersome. Um, we were defending at one point, you know, 160 B Corp points. We ended up shaking out at like 114. But it, you know, to get those points is really, really hard. And you've got to have a ton of documentation. You've got to be really buttoned up. For us as a young organization, you know, that put a lot of systems and processes in place for us, and we're going to continue to build on that. So I wanted to answer that question, but also piggyback on what Darcy was saying there. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And Heather, I, I want to echo that I believe that being legally designated as a benefit corporation is more powerful and more important than the third-party certification totally from, from BLAB. Totally it yeah. is mission lock. It protects the DNA of your organization to be a, to be about more than just the pursuit of profit, the pursuit of profit on par with the pursuit of social and environmental good. So yeah. that's, you know, we did it first. That's what drove us. Yeah. And, and the B Corp certification is right now under revision and um, <clears throat> Dr. Bronner's is concerned about the integrity of the standard and wants to make sure that the bar continues to be high in the next version of the standard. We don't want to see greenwashing, impact washing, fair washing, and actually a Nestle subsidiary, um, two Nestle subsidiaries have recently become certified as B Corps. And we wrote an open letter to B Lab Global and uh, nearly 50 other certified B Corps signed on to our open letter with concerns that uh, the, the parent company has documented supply chain abuses and Nespresso itself has documented supply chain abuses, worker safety. I've been on those farms, Darcy. So <laughs> it's not okay. Amazing. And that's, you know, there's, Amazing. we need to make sure that the B Corp standard continues to push companies to improve, hold companies accountable and have a high bar to, to show that capitalism can be a force for good for all not just shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's important. I, I, we, we've talked about it in terms of farmers, you know, they're not just in service of uh, the greater supply chain, they are business owners. And I think similarly, um, when we're talking about private companies at the end of the day, they are a private company that needs to make money. And this codification that we're talking about at large, I think is so critical, um, in order to, make sure that within these companies who have a huge ability of, to impact supply systems, that they are able to have that backstop of whether it's their B Corp certification or some of the regulations that we're seeing coming out of the EU um, when it comes to financial disclosure um, and sustainability disclosure uh, at the same level of granular of granularity when it comes to the data required for those things. Um, we also are seeing a lot of international um, regulations and requirements around forced labor. Um, and so I am hopeful that with that continued momentum, um, it will it will sort of fuel this idea of private companies and sort of capitalism for good. Um, we have a great question in the chat that I think relates to this uh, to this point of codification, which is about the risk level, um, in, particularly in the Nestle example that was given. 
um, wouldn't these companies want to avoid these serious risks? Um, and why kind of, why aren't they avoiding them? Like, why would you overtly obtain ingredients this way? And a big part of the work that how good does is mapping supply systems to help companies identify, um, you know, a lot of these companies have big global supply chains, which I know that both of you have global supply chains. Um, Heather, my understanding is that you are really building the supply chain from the ground up. So I don't know if this is something that you've had to deal with where you're having to identify these hotspots for ingredients in your supply chain to avoid or to eliminate, or if you have lessons learned as you were building them that you'd like to share in terms of avoiding this kind of risk. Well, I mean, look, we don't, Good Sam doesn't in, doesn't uh, get involved with supply chains that have any type of forced labor or, um, you know, risky practices, if you, if you will, Lee, I'll use your word there. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're constantly auditing our supply chain. We're constantly in our supply chain. There's a great trust between our partners. We spend a, we spend a, a ridiculous amount of time on the ground. I mean, my team is on the ground continuously. I'm on the ground continuously. I know some of my team from Columbia is here. One of the things they say to me all the time is they're like, you're one of the only CEOs who gets into the supply chain. It's very, very rare to see a CEO in the supply chain and a female CEO in the supply chain. It's, it's, it's not common. Um, and I encourage everyone who's in the supply chain, woman, man, to get into the supply chain and be on the ground. Cause it's, um, a really eye-opening experience. In terms of um, larger companies engaging in that risk, um, look, I mean, the bottom line is like for most of the world, most of the capitalistic world, we're really just worried about shareholder and top line. And I mean, we see this all the time, right? We see, rem just remember the way companies behave and watch the way companies behave. You know, it, it goes back to what Darcy said earlier, you know, we vote with our dollars. We, we are so lucky that we get to do that. For everyone on this call, you have the power to vote with your dollars to say, I want something from a Bronner's or a Good Sam because I believe in that and I know that that's creating impact. You also have the power to put really crappy things in your cart that are doing damage, right? And we take that for granted on a level that is so massive in this country, right? We have that power. United States, Europe, big, big, large, big, large markets, right. That are driving really big top line sales. If we stopped today buying those products, those companies would be forced to change something. Right. But we're often lured in by a yellow tag or a sale or cheap food, because that's the system we've created here. Again, circularity, it all is related. It all is connected. Yeah. Um, and so why do they do it? They do it because they can get away with it. I mean, to Darcy's point, the Supreme Court had all the evidence and said, this is not our jurisdiction. And you know what? There's like one, one article in the New York Times about that happening. And that was, it was one day. And then the PR people and the lobbies jumped on top of that and got it out of the narrative, right? We're being duped by a lot of these companies, right? Because they will keep doing it to make more. And remember, this is this is not, and again, that's why it's so important for CEOs to get in the supply chain. If the CEO of Nestle at the time had been in the supply chain watching a six-year-old girl being forced to work but with a machete, cutting down cocoa pods and hauling them to a central station and probably being beaten and probably not getting the required nutrition that she really needs to be able to even do that. 
Would they make that choice? No, they're sitting in a glass tower somewhere, just making a call on a black and white number on a page, right? We need more companies doing the work that we're doing. I invite everybody to do that kind of work. And, and I think they get away with it because they can. They have a lot of money and a lot of power, and we keep giving it to them through our purchases. I want to add that this is about the pursuit of profit, sometimes at all costs. And <clears throat> size should not be an excuse for traceability and transparency or ethics. One of the things I'm really proud of about Dr. Bronner's, we have two voting shareholders, David and Mike Bronner, who inherited the company from their grandfather. And they made the choice to cap their income at five times the lowest paid fully vested worker at Dr. Bronner's. We made just shy of $200 million in revenue last year. Most of our earned income goes to pay for our more expensive raw materials, but we also pay for more expensive wages and benefits for our workers. And that, uh, that choice against personal greed is something that I wish more business owners uh, made. They, the, the owners, they say, you know, look, we're, we're making good money. Why do we need more? We would rather reinvest this in the business and give back to our community through philanthropic and activist giving or more expensive ingredients because we're paying fair wages for everyone in the supply chain. So that, you know, it, why is this happening? It's about profit. What's profit about? Oftentimes it's about greed. So, you know, we don't, we don't, you don't often hear people talk about love in business, but I, I think we should because at the end of the day, whether they're legally acknowledged this way or not, businesses are run by humans and humans at our best love. Even, even voting shareholders of multinational corporations, they are humans too. And how can we bring love to the conversations where business leaders are making choices about, other, about others? Because I, I think, you know, I want to believe that greed doesn't win the day. Yeah. I love how lovingly you talk about greed, Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I've, I've never heard anybody um, say it so nicely. You're both. both <laughs> of you. it's, lo it's lovely. <laughs> um, well, we are sort of rounding in on the end of our time together. I have a couple more questions. I'm not going to be able to get to all the great questions in the chat. So I'm really sorry about that. But um, I, I hope that you will all uh, reach out either on LinkedIn or um, to our speakers to, to ask any questions that may we may not be able to get to. Um, the next question I'd like to ask is, you know, the, the title of the session is about preventing greenwashing. I think that um, aside from the moral obligation that that organizations have not to greenwash uh their practices and their products um there's also increasingly regulatory obligations not to greenwash and there's the threat of litigation um and i think we're seeing the ways that the private sector and the public sector are going to interact going forward um so i'd like to ask you both um 
how you see the private sector, the nonprofits, regulatory bodies, all working together going forward to most effectively accelerate this kind of decarbonization and, you know, hopefully potentially regeneration in the food supply system. Although maybe that's a little bit further down the, down the road. Um, Heather, do you want to take this one to start? I mean, I wish I had a more optimistic view about it. I mean, look, and when it comes to like government and lobbies and, you know, even in engaging with the private sector, there's a lot of uh, what are we going to gain from it first before the collective? And I think, you know, uh, say what you want to about the founder of WeWork. I think he was on to something when he said the we economy and not the me economy, right? We've got to start moving toward this idea of the we economy. How does this affect all of us? Not just me sitting here in the United States, but some person who has nothing and is living outside with a farm in in Latin America, right? Um, we have to consider that, you know, that what we look at in our reality isn't the reality of the whole world. And so, you know, look, I think we're going to be forced into it, unfortunately. I think, I think climate will dictate us having to get it together and get it done. And, you know, look, we, we have made some strides, so it's not all bad, right? But I think, um, we definitely haven't made enough and we're going to see mass migration. We're going to see a displacement of crops. We're going to see, we are going to see those things in our lifetime. And it's going to come down to how government, private sector, private companies um, handle it, right? And how we decide that we're going to move forward. But I, I think we'll get forced into it. Uh, everything that I think we're looking at um, indicates that. I don't know about you, Darcy. I, I have a little bit of a dim, a dim view of it, unfortunately, but, but I, I have hope that smaller companies that, that, you know, mid-level enterprises, smaller companies, um, the natural products industry, I have such faith in the natural products industry that, you know, we will band together. And, and part of the premise of Good Sam is, is built on partnerships, you know, even, and, you know, just so you guys know, like um, Dr. Bronner's, you know, we talk to the team at Dr. Bronner's, we share information. This is the first time Darcy and I have met, but um, our supply chain teams actually talk to each other and know each other. And, um, you know, that's the type of collaboration it's going to take is for companies to say, Hey, I need this. And where can I find this? And who's, who's got the ethical background on this sharing information, sharing contacts, helping one another, building something, um, not for our own personal gain, right? Sometimes like giving a contact to, uh, somebody over Bronner's and vice versa for us to be able to build and grow is, um, is something that, that we're all really dedicated to. And there's a whole coalition of companies that are part of that, um, which is really exciting. And I think that's where the hope is, um, in all of this. One of my friends in the B Corp community is a, a brilliant person named Andy Fife who likes to say, we move at the speed of trust. And my favorite part about the natural products industry, the industry groups that I am a part of, the B Corp community is this pre-competitive collaboration that Heather is describing. I am seeing that between mostly small and mid-sized businesses. Although there are some large businesses that are joining the table too and bringing different resources. There are lobbyists from really large conventional companies who help keep policies in place that serve the interests of shareholders. But increasingly smaller businesses are recognizing that we need to work together and we need to advocate for a different world that we wanna see politically. <clears throat> One of the things we've heard from um, elected officials in Congress is that they don't hear from businesses or from citizens that we need to take bold climate action. 
So there are, although we are concerned, we're not speaking up. So increasingly our focus, I mean, Dr. Bronner's has long thought of ourselves as an activist company, and we have supported policy change and ballot measures across the country for decades um, that we're really proud of. And increasingly we're working in collaboration, not just with nonprofits that are issue area experts or policy advocacy strategists, but we're also working with competitors on amplifying the voices of our consumers in the natural products community and our employees and our leaders who want to see policies that hold our businesses and others accountable to the types of practices that we are doing, some of us are doing voluntarily, we wanna see these become law. So I, I am seeing that it's, it's slow and we don't win every battle, but, um, but I take hope in the community of small and mid-sized businesses who work with nonprofits who are experts and support those nonprofits with philanthropic dollars because their time should not be free. And then we lobby for policy change at the local, state, federal level. And we're seeing it slowly, but, um, but, it's, but it's happening. There are wins every election. I want to add one more thing here, Leah, to this, which is um, about marketing. Um, you know, our marketing uh, departments within our organizations being really well informed and uh, understanding how they communicate to the outside world. Um, that's really important, right? Because often greenwashing happens because there's a sexy marketing campaign or slogan that gets put out there. It's maybe not the intention, but, um, you know, we all as leaders and people who are, um, uh, leading businesses have to be able to, uh, put our marketing campaigns out there and anything that our teams are doing by saying, yes, there is efficacy in that. There is truth in that. That is the truth. We are not trying to hide something. You know, it, it does. And it does come from the top, by the way, you guys, it, it does come from the top. Your leaders, whoever is leading the company is what you are getting throughout the company, right? That's, that's just a fact. That's how business works. And I think, um, you know, impact is not a trend. Impact is something that we have to rely on. And it's something that I think a lot of companies want to jump on board with. I remember early in the Regen Ag uh, conversation, like three years ago, um, somebody saying to me, well, I just want to like, I want to put Regen on my package. And I was like, well, what's Regen in your ingredient list? And they're like, nothing. We just, we support it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So like, let's back up here on this one. You know, you got to like have some truth in that. You can support it and you can talk about how you support it. You can talk about how you're working towards it, but you can't say it on your package and, and then think like, just because I believe in it, but I'm not really doing it, that that's okay, right? That's confusing. And that actually, by the way, when you greenwash in this, you are hurting the entire industry, right? Remember that if you choose to go out there and greenwash these messages, like fair trade, direct trade, regenerative ag, all of these things, you are hurting the entire industry. That we have a responsibility organizations like Bronner's, Good Sam, How Good, we all have a responsibility in this to carry the torch and to do the right thing because it's in our articles of incorporation, right? So it's it's really about uh, maintaining, keeping that integrity and leading with that at all cost. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that businesses have been talking about consumers voting with their dollar for a long time and how the money that you spend really matters. And I think we are now seeing more and more, especially with the advent and focus on scope three, this idea that it's like, actually, no, companies are also 
they should also be held accountable for the money they spend on their supply chains. Um, and so I want to thank you both with that so much for being here today. I personally and professionally really admire the work that you're both doing. And I am so happy that we've talked a little bit about this pre-competitive collaboration, which is something that, um, you know, is really, really important to how good. And I know it's important to both of your organizations. And so I just really look forward to seeing all of the work that you continue to do. And, and I hope that we can, can get together and reflect again, you know, a year from now and five years from now, and just talk about the, the big changes and difference that, that you've both made. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Carbon And Podcast. We hope you've gained some valuable insights on the complex issues facing our global supply system and the innovative solutions that are being developed to address them. Remember, sustainability is about more than just reducing carbon emissions, although that's of course important. It's about creating a more equitable and resilient food system for all. Join us next time as we continue to explore the intersection of food and climate change with more leaders in the industry. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to the Carbon Ant podcast, rate and review us on your preferred platform, tell your friends and colleagues about us, because together we can create a more regenerative food system. Carbon Ant is produced by HowGood, a SaaS data platform with the world's largest sustainability database on food and personal care products. With more than 33,000 ingredients, chemicals, and materials assessed, HowGood helps leading brands, retailers, and restaurants improve their environmental and social impact. Visit our website at howgood.com to learn more.